Hi there and welcome to The Leading Conversation with me, Tom Dawson-Sprig and Kyle Brown. This week we're joined by Dr. Patrick Klesondi, the current chairperson of the Medical Commission for the South African Confederation and Olympic Committee, SASCOC, a director of the South African Institute for Drug-Free Sports, a trustee on the Chris Berger Petra Jackson Players Fund. She's also been a team doctor at the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games, worked with SA Rugby and just finished her tenure as CEO of the Sports Science Institute of South Africa, where she succeeded former Springbok manager Morning Dupasi. You get this beautiful sense of poise, fun and care from Pato, whilst always feeling her power and her will, and that you'd be a fool to take her lightly. Pato tells of her journey of leading and what she's learnt over the years. She speaks openly about the looks she gets in the boardroom as a young black woman, and how she has had to learn to deal with prejudices in order to achieve her mission. It really does make one think and ponder the power of biases. We enjoyed chatting to her and think you will really enjoy listening to the travails of this person who's without doubt going to be keep being successful and is not even close to achieving her mission. Enjoy. Right, another week here we are, um, week nine of the leading conversation. Carl, um, how's your week been? Good, good. I, I just um, I won't mention to everybody that we were just told that we we're very demanding by uh, by Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's our measures to make sure that everybody sounds half decent on this uh, this podcast. So um, I'm all yeah. about quality control. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing our little bit Pato. of QC here. <laughs> no, cool, uh, Pato. It is lovely to have you. Thank you so much for uh, for being with us. Um, you. I'm I'm ashamed to say, but you are our first female guest. Um, nine weeks in. I know, I know. Nine weeks in. How bad is that? But 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 I can't wait for the differing um, points of view that that you're going to give us. Um, I I've had the privilege of meeting you a couple of times and. Um, and reading up about you as well, you realize how unbelievably significant you are as a human being. Uh, so we're very lucky to have you. So thanks so much for, for, for giving us your time. Um, well, it's great to be here. Thanks, Tom. And thanks, Carl. Thank you. Thank all you. Good. All the way from Colesburg. Although you're, you're, also our, you're also our first guest from Colesburg. So uh, I know you're not from Colesburg, but that's where you're, you're dialing in from on your way to Durban. So, um, I'm sure people are going to have to Google where that is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Pato, please would you tell us about Pato Kukle Zondi, your story? Jeez, where to start? That's a very big and loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it buys us about 10 minutes to think about what we're going to ask next. <laughs> Pato, who am I? Jeez, um, oh, child of God, let's start there. Um, mom, proud mother of two beautiful girls, five and two. Um, wife to Andile, happy wife, I might add, um, sister, friend, yeah, I am what I need to be, where I need to be. Um, but yeah, this is me. It's been an eventful week. You were asking Carl about his week. It's been an eventful week for me. A lot of changes that have recently happened, but um, every end is a beginning, so um, I'm sure we'll get into that. We, we, we definitely will. Um, we, were, we were nice. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. We were nicely blindsided by your change as we were just preparing for this. So I'm actually looking forward even more to the, our, our need to adapt. Um, so, so Pato, um, team doctor at a Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games, uh, as well as uh, chief medical officer of SASCOC. Tell us a little bit about your experiences at those massive sporting events, 
as part of that massive organization in South Africa? I am one of those people who are really lucky to be living their dream when it comes to vocation. So I am one of those who are really fortunate. I knew from a really early stage in my life that I wanted to be involved in sport. I was always one of those people who played sport in school. I wasn't really ever brilliant. So, you know, I played, you know, school sports and provincial sports, but didn't quite make it to um, Springbok level as you did Kakao. But when I saw that, like, carrot dangle, I was like, one day I'm going to represent my country somehow. And fortunately, I have. On <laughs> the sidelines. so many people, huh? <laughs> yeah, on the sidelines, as a professional, not as an athlete. But, geez, it's been, a, it's been a thrill, it's been a dream, and it's been a journey. So I am. I, I studied medicine. Um, and literally from the first day I did medicine, I knew I was going to do sports medicine. And so I, I sort of slogged through six years and then dove straight into sports medicine as soon as I finished my comserve. And I literally have been living my dream job ever since. I've been able to mm. um, travel with a number of teams, so from football, um, female football, to rugby, where my journey started at the Blue Bulls, bizarrely, um, and then with the, the junior Springboks and working a little bit with um, SA Rugby as a consultant. And then, yes, absolutely, like having the privilege of journeying with athletes that make their way through regional games, continental games, and then all the way to Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games, which has really just been remarkable and humbling. Pato, so, so, I, um, I wanted to know your opinion on the team environment of, of these multi-sport events. I mean, a lot of people ask me how was uh, how were the Commonwealth Games and how are the Olympics. And, you know, coming from our little bubble in rugby, it's very, very mm. strange to join those kind of events. You know, we've always been playing for Springbok Sevens and this is what we represent the whole time. And you go to these multi-sport events and, and things change quite dramatically you know they you're no longer just the Springboks you're now part of team yeah. South Africa and my first proper taste of that was at the, the 2014 Commonwealth Games and you got a sense of of you know playing for something greater than yourself and playing for Absolutely. more of the country than than just you know your rugby fans and now you're playing for a medal that represents team South Africa um, I mean being being on the medical setup and, and being involved with all the different sports at the same time do you do you get that feeling as opposed to just, you know, looking after the medical side of a single sport? It's, it, it is a very different environment, um, Kyle, but both of them are equally special. Um, being part of a single uh, code um, when you are traveling and world stage is special because there's an intimacy that you get um, that maybe is lost a little bit when you're in a multi-code event. So there's certainly sort of a sense of togetherness, camaraderie, um, and really, like intimacy, you become a family and, and like united. I don't have to tell you about that, you know, just how closely yeah. connected you are when you're that single team. As a medical professional also, it's a little bit easier to navigate because you've only got a squad of 30, let's just say, if you're, if you're, if you're you know, in 15s rugby. So it's, it's a little bit easier because when they're off, you're off um, and you can manage your time just around that squad of players and management. Yeah. When you are traveling with the multi-code um, events or to the multi-code events, it's a much bigger task. Um, there is a different sense of camaraderie because it's exciting being part of a number of different teams and they all have their different um, personalities or characteristics as units and entities. Um, the team sport themselves, they still have that team togetherness. And then there's this very special, um, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, connection that you get even with the individual athletes because they connect with you in a very different way um, than the team sport connects with you. Um, and then, of course, there's a the relationship between the different athletes and the relationship between the different teams. 
But as a medical professional, it is a little bit more, it, it's a lot more difficult. Let me not say a little bit more difficult because obviously you don't ever go and service just one team or one athlete. So when rugby has their downtime, soccer might have their competition time. And when soccer is off, then there's athletics that's on. And, and so you're literally on call 24-7 if you're a doctor that's there. Sure. Pato, my experience from working in sports is the relationship between doctor or medical staff and coach is very important. If you are at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games, there's medical staff and coaches, many coaches of all the different sports. You must be an expert at building relationships quickly with people. There's a, there's a great quote, Tom, a leadership quote that say um, something about people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Um, I'm paraphrasing. And that's probably one of the most effective sort of tools or lessons that I've learned within medicine. Um, your patients or athletes need to trust you first and they need to trust that you have their best intentions at heart before they will follow your advice. Um, and once you do have that trust, then, oh geez, then, then the rest happens for by itself. Um, and the rest is really easy. And so yes, um, a, a big part of being good at my job or being good at your job as a medical professional that works in a team setting or with athletes um, at this level, is being able to build a good relationship with them and have them trust you and also not take it personally of course when they question certain things because it's bigger than you it's not about you actually you know it's about something that's a lot bigger than you as a doctor specifically um it's about a bigger goal for themselves for their team for their country depending on where you're working so Pato, you're talking about these these connections with people what is your express line to making those connections because i i think we kind of spoke in general about making you know helping people understand that you care but what is your express way of helping them understand that you actually care about them i don't know that there's a quick answer to that Kyle, because different people respond to different things and part of the skill is understanding or being able to unlock that right so yeah. being able to identify what's important to a person and then be, being able to make a connection to that um that thing that's important to the person um, I mean, I know that I'm very family orientated, so, so often my questions start there. They start asking about the person, their family, their interests, and from there we find a point of connection, and that's where we build from. Oh, that answered that perfectly. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Pato, so we've gone Saskok uh, uh, Olympic teams. Um, are you going to the next Olympics? I was supposed to go to these Olympic Games, Tokyo 2020. I, yeah, I had the privilege of being um, selected or appointed rather as chief medical officer for these games. They've been postponed to 2021 and um, we, we won't make any assumptions. I think I continue to serve as a chairperson for the SASCOC Medical Advisory Commission. And so um, I will be part of appointing that team. I obviously don't appoint myself. That needs to come through a nomination. Um, but I think it, it's important to figure out where I am at that particular time and also what the team looks like, the composition of the team. And then what we do need is to make sure that the right people are available to serve the team. Mm. Mm. Okay, cool. So that journey continues. Absolutely. Um, so then another journey that you were part of was a real journey. You climbed Kilimanjaro with Tuli Maroncela to raise money. <laughs> um, are you mad? <laughs> 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 everything is relative it was incredible jeez what a journey that was it really really was say more about uh, there was two things i wanted to know is how, what was the experience like physically and secondly what was the the banter and the chat like between uh, <laughs> yourself and, and tuli maroncela 
The physical journey, I must be honest, it was, it surprised me. And maybe I, I overestimated myself or underestimated the physiological effects of alt- altitude. So it's a five-day trip up and two-day trip down. Um, and mm. the first four days are, are, are really manageable. Um, so if you have a fair level of you know, fitness, which I did and do, then they're really okay because it's not like you are rushing up the mountain. In fact, you know, the, the phrase is pole pole, slowly, slowly. That's how you deal with altitude. But summit day was really tough and it was tough physically mm. and mentally. I don't think I've ever had to dig as deep as I have mentally um, as I did on summit day. And I have, um, I have been, I've had to dig deep mentally in, in my journey in various ways. It was incredibly tough. I mean, I think you start summit day and you've, you, you haven't slept. So you literally sleep for about two hours and you start summit at about 11 o'clock the night before to summit at about 9, 10 in the morning. So, and, and you've doing that on two hours of sleep, you climbing through the night, obviously you're going into um, high, high altitude. At some point you're literally sleepwalking. Um, you are hungry at some point, you are confused. And, and not confused because you've got altitude sickness. So just, you're just mentally exhausted. So it, was, it really surprised me. I didn't expect it to be that tough um, getting to the top because I, or at least not that mentally tough, but it was absolutely rewarding. I think because of the entire journey and the process, uh, reaching or summiting Kilimanjaro was, again, it was an emotional um, um, conquest um, and it really was a physical conquest as well. Hmm. In terms that, of the back, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, 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 uh, you carry on, you carry on. <laughs> no, then in terms of the bands, it was it was interesting. So the trip came at a, a particularly, or at the end of a particularly challenging chapter um, in my journey professionally. And so it was a great time to just go away, you know, and, and, and yeah, to experience something else physically and, and emotionally and mentally. And so the first two days, I must be honest, I spent, I spent in myself, in my head, you know, um, I, I just did a lot of reflecting. Um, obviously, there's a lot of conversations that you have as you're getting to know the group around you, um, which was great. And then the next to the following two days were just wonderful. I mean, you've got a lot of time to, to talk and get to know people. Um, you are climbing for six to eight hours a day, sometimes a little bit longer. And so there's a lot of time to have good conversations. Um, which we did. And to this mm. day, in fact, a year later, um, I remain very close to some of the people that I met on that trip. What you go through physically, emotionally, and mentally will connect you probably for the rest of your life. Um, and for that, I'm mm. grateful. I have been able to engage and share with um, Professor Madonsela thereafter. And, and again, because of what we experienced together on that mountain, I, I feel like we will. We will have a bond that uh, we otherwise wouldn't have had had we not summited Kilimanjaro together. Thomas, I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's the same. Well, I think it's, it's a lot of a lot of what people take from sport is those dark times that you go through together that that build those friendships that last so much longer. You know, and I mean, if there's one person that comes to mind, and I think I've mentioned him a hundred times in this bloody podcast, is Frankie Horn. Um, mm. I just feel like I've been through so many dark times with Frank. You know, I don't even know if we shared that much happiness, but we've shared so much darkness that it, uh, we're really, really close together because of that. You know, and we—it's um, not one of those relationships where you talk every day, but goodness, you know what we've been through, and, and we've seen some some really raw parts of each other's soul. And 
and yeah that made us really close and I, I think that will that will maintain our friendship for a very very long time to come mm. absolutely and I think that's it right Carl I think when you see somebody at their most vulnerable place or at a vulnerable place yeah and you engage in a way that is meaningful at that time something remains for a long time to come yeah, you just meet mm. them on a different level completely, you know, and yeah. it's, uh, it's quite refreshing, actually. Absolutely. I, I remember many years ago, guys, I, um, there was this group of people who were doing a, they would cycle from Cape Town to Durban and then run the Comrades uh, for, for, uh, for charity. And they did it for a few years in a row. Anyway, it was the first year they were doing it and they, they approached me and they said, could, could we do anything to help them in their preparation? And I didn't really know what we could do, but um, we did a couple of things. And one of the things we um, did was just to have a check-in. Uh, every day they were to have a check-in, like, how are you? Where are you at? Um, and I remember post them doing it, they spoke about the toughness and the dark spaces that both of you are talking about having been through and saying that the check-in was one of their most powerful things that they'd done because there were times when it got, got a bit fractious and uh, there were some arguments but that check-in was that sort of ritual that they had and I find it in a lot of teams I work with in fact even in lockdown a particular team that I've been part of um, we'll go on to you start your zoom question uh, your zoom meetings with uh, a check-in which has got nothing to do with work it's just a personal thing and I think it's such a powerful um, a powerful little tool that you can have uh, in teams I suppose so that was just a little uh, insight that I wanted to give. From a question point of view, um, Carl, I think you you did something like that uh, with your sevens team. And Pato, did you do anything like that um, with your Olympic teams uh, or Commonwealth game teams, just checking in with each other as human beings? I, I was just thinking as we were talking about that now, with the check-in is, is almost like a sense of honesty. You know, because if you you can be vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, but fragile if if you're not you know if if nobody around you knows is aware of that vulnerability. Which uh, this yeah, this thought just came to mind now. Isn't that sense that check in that that little bit of honesty that making sure that everybody around me knows my vulnerability? That's very different to being vulnerable and fragile. You know, where where instead of you're you're honest, you're open. We can make that connection. You can help me grow through this time, or. I can be vulnerable and at the same time defensive or, or, or ready to crack and break at any moment if I'm pushed any harder. So that 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 check-in is almost like a, a moment for honesty where you let everybody else around you um, in on what you're feeling and, and make them aware of what's going through your head at the time. And that that's where the, the relationship and that's you know where, where it grows because you can identify with it and then you can also empathize with it at the same time. Mm, thanks. Pato? I don't even remember what I was going to say. Oh, you asked me about the Olympics, but maybe just to start with the vulnerability. It's so interesting, Carl, that you speak about vulnerability. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting conversation where we keep digressing. But um, on, on vulnerability, I, um, I actually, it was recent. In the past few months, I have um, learned to recognize the power of vulnerability because it is in a place of vulnerability that you, as you say, connect. And connections is why we exist, or at least it's, it's why I believe we exist. We believe we exist to connect with people and then to leverage those connections to a bigger purpose. And you can only do that if you're willing to be honest and raw. And vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability can be a strength um, because you can be vulnerable, you can be open, you can be honest, and then use that to position yourself, position, position yourself um, and your team 
um, so that you can strengthen whatever you're working on. Um, speaking to your question around check-in and the Olympics, um, when you're navigating a space like that, especially with the Olympics, I think it's different with a team sport, but I'll speak to the Olympics because at the Olympic Games, um, at least the way that Team South Africa works, is you're not necessarily on everyone's journey leading up to the Games. You meet people maybe in the weeks before the Games um, and then at the Games themselves. And so it's a really careful um, relationship to manage so that you don't interfere with what has already been built um, and where the athlete really is. The athletes, by the time you meet them at the Games, has got a strong relationship with their coach and that's a relationship that you must respect. But there is... Um, there is something to be gained from the relationship that you can build with the athlete. And, uh, you know, there, there is a difference, again, in a different sense of openness and honesty that an athlete can help with, that, that the athlete can help with the medical staff than they sometimes can have with their coach. And it's also being about, it's, it's about being responsible about what you do with that. Um, you can help matters at, at a time of vulnerability. Um, and if you're not careful, you can also worsen matters because, uh, you know, it's a highly pressurized environment. People are um, vulnerable. People are stressed out. And as a medical professional, at least, you have a responsibility to assist, to enable, um, rather than maybe dwell in a space that won't achieve the ultimate goal which is to perform and do the best that they can do. Well, that well, that's the, the crux of it. So you have, and we're going to get to your, your sports science days just now, but you are a doctor, so your the people's safety is in your hands. Um, you've gone into environments that, let's call a spade a spade, are quite male-based. Like rugby is still quite predominantly male. You spent a lot of time in there, and you're coming and you're preaching vulnerability. But still showing confidence and people <laughs> put their faith in you and i think it's a beautiful juxtaposition how have you navigated that i think i mean my opinion is there's a strength in being imperfect you have to have the courage to admit that you're imperfect um know your strengths own your strengths but acknowledge your weaknesses and i i think that one of the strengths of my leadership journey is knowing is knowing my weaknesses and then being able to connect with people who have strengths in those areas so that as a team, we can achieve what we need to achieve. But if I wasn't willing to acknowledge the areas that I'm not strong in, then I would never be able to bring in somebody who could bridge for that gap, you know, in the, in the team that I'm in. Um, and so that's always, been, it's, that's, always, that's always been something that's really important to me. Also, by acknowledging my weaknesses, I can work on them, right? And so I know early in my sports medicine days, um, because physiotherapists are far better trained in sort of fine motor musculoskeletal movement, um, I spent a lot of time in the physiotherapy room. I could have been arrogant about it and said, no, I'm a doctor, so I don't need to be here. Or because I recognize it would make me much better at my job ultimately. If I knew what the physiotherapist does and, and I know what they do in detail, then it makes my job or I can be more effective at my job because then I can build on what they do for the athlete's benefit. Um, and so I did. So I spent a lot of time so that I could build on that so that it was no longer a weakness after a little bit of time. Um, and so I, I think that's just been a characteristic of, of I guess, my, my journey um, and the road that I've led. You mentioned that I've worked in a lot of male-dominated spaces, and I have. Um, but again, I think part of um, my positioning was always 
I'm not going to try and be what I'm not. So in the rugby setting, as an example, you're very right. I traveled with the junior Springboks and I was the only female in the team. So in a squad, ultimately with management and, and players of 43 people, I was the only female and we traveled around the world. And I mean, I, I absolutely loved it, but there's only so much rugby sport or male that I can do. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, I, and, um, and so, you know, I, I really, I embraced the, the feminine or the female part of me in the times that I just wanted to be pator and read a book or soak in a bath or have a glass of wine and, and do the things that, that I want to do. And, and I'm okay with that. Um, I also realized very early on that if I try and be someone that I'm not, I'm going to fall short of it in every single way, shape and form. But um, I can be the best version of myself and the best version of myself will bring something to the team. Um, and that means, you know, being female. It means being black. It means being young if I'm young. It means being what I am, um, owning my strengths and owning, you know, even my weaknesses. Wonderful. Thanks, Pato. Carl? Pato, you were talking about the, your, your, you know, your weaknesses and your flaws and everything. Just quickly on the identification of those flaws and the weaknesses. Are you, I mean, do you work closely with people, uh, mentors, or is it is it more of a, a self self identification? Are you doing, you know, uh, your own internal reflection the whole time, uh, taking a look at where you're strong, where you're weak? What is your process on that? For most of my journey, it's been a lot of introspection. So I have I have been privileged, um, specifically in the clinical space, to have a lot of very strong mentors. Um, but it's being able to recognize what I don't know um, that allows me to then turn to them and ask them for assistance with certain things, whether it's clinical or professionally. But a lot of it has been very, very much a process of being able to um, reflect and introspect. Um, I've always really enjoyed working with teams. And because I've always been really outcome or goal orientated, there's always something we're trying to achieve, right? So in a team setting, we know that my role is to ensure that there's healthy players on the field, right? And so if I'm struggling to do that, I need to be able to figure out why am I struggling to do that and then address that why. Um, if it's because, as an example, an athlete is not taking my advice on return to play protocol, I need to figure out why aren't they taking my advice. Is it my approach? Is it the diagnosis, as an example? Is it something they're failing to understand? And then I've, I've, I've needed to be able to um, address whatever that might be. But in terms of my own sort of leadership journey, um, and maybe even reflecting on most recent times, um, it's understanding what outcome we're trying to achieve. And recently, actually, I have worked with an executive coach um, in sort of the last year, and it was a really transformational journey, Kyle. I, it really was one of those things that I'm so glad I invested in, in terms of time and process, because it allowed, it allowed another angle of reflection on my journey and my leadership journey. Um, and one of the most valuable sort of conversations we had was just around outcome, was about understanding what you're trying to achieve in any relationship, conversation or process, and then solving for that. And so often when you hit a block with somebody or something, um, if you ask yourself, what am I trying to achieve? And then plan a process around that, you will get further than concentrating on the problem itself, if that makes sense. So I don't know if I need to give an example because I might be just talking in circles here. Um, so as an example, if I know that out of somebody, I need them to fulfill a certain process, it doesn't matter how I would do the process. I need to figure out how to get that person 
to find it in themselves to achieve what they need to achieve. That's perfect. Um, Pato, you, you, so if I keep going on your journey, something that I've sort of known growing up in Cape Town is you see this big thing called the Sports Science Institute of South Africa being born. Um, Professor Tim Noakes, Mornay Duplessis, Johan Rupert build this thing. It's impressive. It's got a gym. It's got research elements to it. It's linked to UCT in many in some ways. Um, a, a really impressive space and or, or has always been an impressive space. And then Patakukle Zondi comes in 2016 <laughs> and becomes the CEO of it. And you, you just mentioned in your previous answer, you said, I'm young and I'm black. Um, it would be remiss of me not to ask uh, what, whether felt or real experience uh, did you have of being, in your words, young and black going into that environment? Mixed responses and mixed feelings. Um, you know, firstly, let's just start with the incredible man and leader that Mornay Duplessis is. So... I mean, he he is he has built a legacy and he is a legacy for good reason. He is a humble human being. He is a remarkable um, connector and leader. Um, and for that, he's really respected. So when he retired um, and stepped aside, obviously there was big shoes to fill. And I use that phrase very loosely um, because he, he made an impact and he left his mark and people respected him for good reason. Um, so stepping into that space, there was a lot of expectation and curiosity, you know, curiosity about who is going to follow um, in, in this giant's footsteps. Again, I, I learned very early on from my journey before that, um, working in a space like the Blue Bulls and then SA Rugby, that I can't try and be what I'm not, you know. So I was never going to uh, step into that space and try and recreate what um, Monet Duplessis did because I would fail, quite frankly. Um, I believe that I was invited into that space because what I because of what I could bring to the table, um, and therefore I needed to bring that um, and all of that, and so that's and that's how I that's the attitude rather that I, I walked in with um, when I when I took the position and took uh, the baton from Monet Duplessis. He was remarkable in the way that he handed over to me um, because I think having built the Sports Science Institute. Um, I mean, it was his baby. It, it baby is still his baby. Um, and having nurtured it for so long, it could have been very difficult for him to let go and he could have left a shadow. But I have such great respect for him because of the way that he quite literally stepped aside and gave me room and space to um, script my own narrative, you know, and the respect to do so. Um, and, and that was really, really helpful. Um, that was that was in, in, I, I noticed it. It was very subtle in the way that he did it, but it was very meaningful and notable. Mm. And I noticed what he did um, stepping into that space. So the people of the Sports Science Institute themselves, he uh, again a remarkable um, people and place, uh, really um, a family. So very protective of their space. So obviously, as I stepped in, there was a great curiosity. But again, because of the way that um, Monet handed over. Um, people gave me the benefit of the doubt. And for that, I'm, I'm, it says a lot about the team that I stepped in to work with. You know, they gave me the benefit of the doubt and they were willing to, again, um, they were open to see what I had to bring to the table. Um, and of course it was different to what Monet 
Monet I brought to the table, but that was my mandate. My mandate wasn't to come and do what had been done before. My mandate was to come and do what needed to be done in order for the Sports Science Institute to remain relevant in different times and in changing times. Um, and, and that's what happened. So that was the people of the Sports Science Institute. But then, of course, there's the corporate space. And the corporate space is, um, well, it's, it's, it's another uh, monster altogether, you know. <laughs> Um, there are, in all honesty, you know, I, I'm, there are, there's a lot of doors that were, were open to the Sports Science Institute because of the, re, the relationships through um, Monet, Duplessis. And I mean, he worked hard for those relationships. So understandably, there was that. And so when I stepped into that space, and I stepped into that space with a very um, uh, strong history and, and, and good experience from a clinical and a sports science perspective, but perhaps not yet well established in the corporate world. Um, so that was the work that I needed to do, you know. Um, and so I certainly didn't walk into a space that was easy to navigate from a commercial um, sense and a corporate space because people were like, who is this lady? You know, um, again, I'm young, I'm, you know, black, I'm female. They don't know me. You know, I don't come from another corporate where I held a senior executive position. Um, and so that was challenging. Um, that was challenging for the duration of my journey there. Um, but one had to figure out a way to make it work for, for again, for the bigger purpose and for the bigger cause that I was there. Sure. Pato, I wanted to build on something, uh, you know, on, on the sports science side of things, your, your sense of resilience. And I've, I, like I said earlier, I've read, read a couple of articles and listened to you talk and your language that you use is always very hopeful and very positive. Uh, which is which is very encouraging, um, but you you talk about um, change when change is happening and it might be slower than what what you expected. You know you still you're still aware that it is happening that you you acknowledge that change is happening. You know, um, and that the the journey that you're on is all part of a bigger journey and it all sounds very hopeful, um, but when you when you have a plan in place and growth is happening at a slower pace than you expected it to. You know, how do you how do you as a person, as a leader of, of that sort of um, maybe that enterprise that is trying to drive that growth? How do you manage that disconnect? You know, and then, you know, what tools do you use to manage that that, that uh, sort of the, the, the disconnect between what you, you want to happen and what you expect to happen and what is actually happening? Kyle, I'm a, I'm a dreamer, but I think fundamentally I'm a doer. And so I'm one of those people, for instance, who wakes up every day. In fact, I don't wake up every day. The day before, when I go to sleep, I'll write a to-do list of the things that I need to do the next day, right? So that I can tick them off as I go along. And maybe it's that which keeps um, me going um, and certainly keeps a team going. I think it's being able to recognize the milestones. And so if you're going to lead um, and you're going to lead change, you have to have a vision and you have to have a dream and you have to have people... Um, buy into that dream and believe in that dream and build that dream with you actually um, they, they'll, they'll only buy into it if they build that dream with you and so that's where it starts right but the dream is always big the dream is always bigger than where you are right now and it might even be dramatically different to where you find your way where, where you currently are um, and so it's having that dream um, in the distance and holding on to that image and having it crystal clear you know what you're trying to achieve but because change takes long, and because especially if you're trying to make broad or large-scale change or institutional change, you know, the process of buying in, the process of um, implementation um, can often take and does often take much longer than you'd anticipate or wish or, 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 or plan. 
Um, I think it's being able to recognize the milestones. It's literally being able to recognize where you started and the little areas of progress that you make along the way um, and acknowledge those. Because if you don't acknowledge those and you only look at how far you have to go, then you will lose faith and you will lose confidence. Um, and and, and that, that becomes really important. And that's why I refer to the to-do list because um, sometimes you've got a to-do list of 20 um, and, and there's two things that will just drain your energy. But at least if you know that you've ticked off eight of the 20, then you can start encouraging yourself and patting yourself on the back. So I think it really is about just acknowledging the small um, steps and the the milestones along the way. Pato, Pato, I can help people with to-do lists and practices and things around leadership. What I can't do is understand what it is like to be a black female in a leadership position. Um, I read earlier that 15% of top leadership positions in South Africa are held by black people. And then you spoke a little bit about those obstacles and the, it's the, the corporate South Africa. Can you, can, you, can you let us into that experience in a boardroom or on a, in a conversation as a, and you're just feeling, hang on, something's not right here? There have been many of those and there probably will be many of them for time to come, Tom. Um, but change will slowly happen um, and it'll happen because we will keep showing up um, um, and, and keep ensuring that those shifts and those changes happen. But it is, it's, um, it's, it's the assumption that comes with having an executive role um, and the assumption that, oh, it might be a BE appointment, you know? And so the first hurdle is often overcoming the assumption that you're only there for a, as a BE appointment. I mean, that's the first thing that you just need to overcome. Um, and, and it's frustrating, you know, it's frustrating when you know that you've, you've got value to add um, and that you rightfully have a place at the table. But I think one again, one needs to just recognize the milestones that have been made. And so one needs to recognize that firstly, it's about being at the table. And then secondly, when you get to the table, it's about ensuring that you use your voice and you use it meaningfully. And so it's very easy to um, fall into a trap that I've seen other people, and, and I'm not just talking about sort of black females, I'm just talking generally other people, to fall into a trap where you arrive at the table and you congratulate yourself, you pat yourself on the back, and then you do what needs to be done to stay at the table, even if it's not the right course of action. Mm. Um, and so it, it also requires um, a, a relative boldness, a boldness to say, all right, I've, I've been invited to the table for whatever reason, okay, but now I'm here. I need to make damn sure that it counts. And so um, in for in, in any opportunity that I've uh, been given or I've worked to achieve, um, I've always told myself that I will honor that, you know, that I'll say, regardless of how I got here, I'm here now. And I only take an opportunity where I think that I can add value. So there's many things that I've said no to because perhaps it's just not the right time or I don't feel I'm the right person. But if I have said yes to an opportunity, then I'll make damn sure that I do it justice. And so when I am at the boardroom, um, often I, I do, I have to um, work harder than the next person. Um, mm. I have to, there's sort of like tactics that you have to do to, 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 make, to qualify yourself being there. And so I'm not one of those people who will introduce myself as, hi, my name is Dr. Pato Uklezondi and give you all my titles because I don't think it's relevant. 
But there are times when I've had to do that because quite frankly, I want to fast forward to the, to the point where we're having the conversation that we need to have. And if you're going to disqualify me for the first hour because you don't quite know what, why I'm there, then, then I'll do that for you. You know, sort of I will, I will lead with qualifying why I'm at the table and then 15 minutes later, we're having the conversation that we actually need to be having, you know, because now you actually trust that, that I, I can add what I need to add. But I mean, these are all really frustrating dynamics that you have to navigate. You can either stay there, you can stay there and get frustrated and complain about why you're having to do this, or you can, um, or you can get there and, and prove a point um, and do what needs to be done, start, start making those shifts. And it's not always, you don't create the change by fighting all the time. You know, you need to pick your battles. Sometimes you create the change um, by getting into a person's mind and helping them see differently. It's it's so it's so powerful to listen to because I, I I I put money on it. You know, you're not the only person who has to um, take on these obstacles. When you say, if you had a hope, if you had a hope for people white and black around how we connect with each other what would that great hope be sure that's i didn't see that question coming <laughs> um you can take your time tom no i i guess yeah you know i guess the the crux must be that we must allow each other to be authentic and just be open to receiving a person um, in their entirety and their fullness, then make a decision about how you engage with that. The challenge is often people make a judgment before you even arrive. Mm. You know, they make a judgment or they make a judgment on first sight. Um, and unfortunately, because of the environment, well, history, let me say, um, that often places me at a disadvantage. Right? Before, before I've even started the conversation, before I've even entered the race, I'm already at a disadvantage just because of a preconception that people have had by the mere fact that I'm black, female, and young, and I'm sitting in a boardroom around a table with mm. older white males, you know. Um, so mm. I guess my hope would really be that, would be uh, start with a blank slate. You know, when you meet somebody, um, start with a blank slate and allow them to fill that slate and then decide how you will engage mm. with that. And you don't have to like, I mean, I'm certainly not saying we all need to like each other, you know, um, that might not happen. We're all very different, uh, but let's give each other a chance and then work with what we get. Sure. Tom, yeah, wonderful. I, I think we um, covered it in the last couple of weeks also, but it's, it's always interesting to see how our certain themes seem to pop up the whole time. And, and Bato, you mentioned authenticity, and I, I got that from when you were... You were saying when you entered a space, when you entered a, a role, you know, you have to be authentic to your goal and your and your dream and your vision. And you're saying, you know, that you only took on certain things where you felt that you could make that impact. Um, and it's so great to hear about that authenticity that probably allows you to do your best work too when you know that you you are staying authentic and staying true to what you believe in in, in those spaces. Mm -hmm. It does, it does, Carl, and I think a lot of it has come with um, growth just as an individual, you know, as you mature as a person and you start to recognize what your negotiables and non-negotiables are, um, and again, start to appreciate um, where your strengths lie, and if you want to contribute meaningfully a team, to a team, you need to play to your strengths, 
Um, and, and I think that for me is, 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 is part of being authentic, you know, understanding what that is. And as I've, I said before, knowing where you aren't strong and then being able to recognize that and bring somebody on board in the team setting to say, okay, look, so this is not my strength, but it is your strength. Let's work together um, towards the bigger picture, towards the common goal. Mm-hmm. Patso, your, your journey at the Sports Science Institute has come to an end. Um, where, uh, where to from here? If I had a crystal ball, I would be able to give you that answer. <laughs> uh, Tom, interesting, I was saying earlier, it's the first time that I've made such a big and bold move in my, um, in my life, I guess, actually, that hasn't been um, outcome-orientated or predetermined. So for the first time, I can't tell you where to from here. What I can tell you is that I step into the space with great hope and great faith. I know um, with certainty that... I will continue to serve in the space of sport, um, medicine and health, public health, um, and creating societal change. Um, I I really feel that there is something in me that enables me to tap into all three of those things um, and be able to make a difference in, in, in all three of them. And so I, for now, have decided that I'm going to just take a bit of a time out for the next perhaps three months. Um, it's been a tough but a really meaningful race um, over the past four years and I am going to spend the next few weeks just giving time to my family and myself um, and then script the next phase of my journey. Carl, did you want to ask something there? Yeah, Pato, we, we, we touched on it a little bit um, pre this interview but I, I wanted to know and, and this sort of this does change now that you've you've left sports science but South Africa as a, as a public, you know, we have a, a couple of health crisis, crises and, and one of them being obesity. And in one interview, you did speak about sports science having to reposition themselves to help the, the, the greater public uh, as opposed to just elite athletes. What, what do you think are a couple of the big changes that South Africa can make as a society um, towards better health and, and uh, to making sure that we... Uh, you know, we look after our human capital better than what we currently do. I, I think um, the pandemic that we currently find ourselves in has definitely highlighted the need for us to take care of ourselves, um, Kyle. Health has been a very definite theme of 2020, given that we're facing um, arguably the biggest health crisis of recent times. So I think it starts with individuals taking care of themselves. Um, I think as individuals, we need to start taking responsibility of our physical and our mental well-being. Um, and I think, again, like something like the coronavirus pandemic has forced us to introspect um, because now suddenly we recognize how vulnerable we are as human beings and how certain um, decisions, actions, choices make us more vulnerable. Um, so we know that people with chronic illnesses like diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease are more vulnerable to um, viruses and certainly coronavirus. And so it's forced us as individuals to say, OK, what can we do to protect ourselves and we need to make conscious decisions to be um, responsible when it comes to physical activity in terms of food choices and diet. Another thing and a great thing that um, the pandemic did and lockdown did was that because we weren't able to go out anymore, a lot of people spoke to now actually cooking at home and, and <laughs> paying attention to what they eat. You know, And often when we're stuck in the rat race, you know, waking up early, going to work, dropping off kids, doing this, um, everything is at such a fast pace that you start to neglect fundamentals like what you're eating 
Um, so I think what we can do as a public is we can firstly take personal responsibility for the, our own actions and choices and the impact that they have on our personal health. And then we need to start looking at our circles and how can we help those around us. Those of us that are parents need to, be, need to take responsibility for what we teach our children and the habits that we inculcate in our children. Um, and then as friends and as families, we also not, we need to start building healthy habits. You know, we can influence each other in, in ways that are meaningful and positive, not just um, professionally, but certainly fundamentally, personally, and from a health perspective. And that's one of, one of the exciting things that I think we started to do at the Sports Science. I mean, certainly the Sports Science Institute um, from before I came, for a long time in fact, um, has had a footprint in communities and so it, it's always served outside of the uh, elite space. But a conscious decision that was taken um, in my tenure at the Sports Science Institute was that we needed to build on that. And that even in the academic work that we do um, and the performance-related work that we, we do, we can apply that at a societal level and at a community level. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Pato. So... I want to ask you three quick questions to finish off. Uh, you've navigated a restructure um, uh, of Sports Science Institute and then resigned in February just pre-COVID, um, but you carried on through and, and, and literally finished uh, two days ago. Two questions around that and then one to finish off. What has surprised you most about people through your leadership journey at sports science what has surprised you most about people and what has given you most hope what is well crisis let me tell you this a crisis and change disruption um exposes everything it exposes mm. the good the bad the strengths and the weaknesses of people and of systems and what i realized through both times is that you must pay attention to what is exposed you must pay attention to what is exposed of yourself because crisis also exposes a lot about yourself and you need to, 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 to recognize how you respond to these things, but also to the people and the systems around you. Um, and that's been very um, difficult, but it's also been very rewarding because I'll tell you this, especially in uh, this past period with coronavirus, there was a togetherness and a unity that I have never experienced. I said to um, the, the, the team at the sports science, and I'm talking about the larger team, it felt like we were going to mm. war and I wouldn't have chosen another team to go to war with because as difficult as it was and people were personally impacted, you know, um, from, you know, as, uh, obviously those people are commission based with not being able to earn those salaries anymore. People who had to be temporarily laid off, some people who had faced retrenchments, but the solidarity and the understanding of the bigger picture and the fact that this wasn't just about them, you know, that for instance, there's a company to think of, not just individuals, was really humbling and really remarkable. So crisis reveals and exposes, pay attention to what is exposed. Um, it also exposes, of course, um, the nasty. And when people reveal their true colors, take note. Um, it doesn't mm. mean you must cast them out, but it means that you understand um, something fundamental about those people. It also exposes systems and weaknesses in systems. And again, that crisis and difficulty is not the time to turn away from that. When weakness is exposed or difficulty is exposed, you need to turn towards that and you need to address it. You don't, um, I recently wrote an article about, about challenging times and I said, you know, when you run a race, you don't finish the race by avoiding the hills. You have to take them on. You have to put your head down, 
You take it one step at a time, but you have to lean into that place of discomfort and overcome it, and then you'll get to the finish line. Mm. Um, then what did you say? Then one thing that's given me hope. <laughs> one thing that I, I suppose I can draw from the same experience, what's given me hope is really, again, um, being able to connect with people at a place of vulnerability and you know, being surrounded by people who recognize that it's bigger than just them. And um, people who are, are just willing to, to give, commit, serve for something bigger than themselves. And that has just been inspirational for me. Awesome. And then our last question that we ask everyone, which is if you had 60 seconds to give a presentation, what would be the contents of that presentation? Okay, you need to give me 20 seconds to think about it, then I'll give you my 60-second no. contents. That's all right. You've got 40 seconds after that. Mm. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So if I had 60 seconds to give a presentation, what would be the contents? Um, I would say know yourself. I'd speak about knowing your audience. Know what you're trying to achieve. And it's always possible to be kind, no matter what you're going through. To be kind to yourself and to be kind um, to the people around you. And lastly, if it, if it has to do with leadership, and if I was speaking to an audience where the conversation is about leadership, um, uh, leadership is a calling, I do believe it, um, but it comes at a significant cost. So a, probably one of the most um, valuable tips that I would say to anybody in a position of leadership is know where your support base is, um, know where your safe space is, and know where and what you need to do to refuel. Um, if you're in the leadership journey, it's a leadership. It's a journey that that takes a lot, but that gives a lot as well. And you need to be able to to refuel. Pato, it was an absolute delight to chat to you and listen to you, um, Carl. Yeah, uh, Pato, uh, we've we've um, I've been on a little bit of your journey uh, when we've connected on different tours and different events. But I am, I'm really excited to see where you go next. And I know we mentioned something uh, in the lead up to this, but I won't be chatting about that. Um, but I think you, you, you're making waves everywhere you go and it's so cool to watch. Uh, and I really look forward to where you go next. And we're so grateful for your time uh, today. So thanks so much for today. And thank you for your honesty and, and your openness. Tom, Carl, thanks for having me. It's always good to chat with you guys. Thanks so much, Pato. You're a legend. Thank you. Well, Carl, so um, yeah, it took us nine episodes to get some female flavor on our podcast, but I really enjoyed that. What are your takes? <laughs> yeah, listen, hopefully not, not a long time before we get, uh, get another female on because I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the differences of opinion and, and the different angles and things. And also, Tom, I think we, we need to acknowledge the different challenges that people have, um, the different challenges that females have. And, and you know, part of being a black young female in a a heavily male dominated environment and the, the struggles that she had to get through. But wow, she's, she's navigated that field incredibly well uh, and, and positioned herself, like I said, towards the end of, of the conversation to, to do even greater things as, uh, as the time goes by.
Yeah, I think you spot on. I, 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 the things that struck me were she mentioned kindness, and Ben Ryan a couple of weeks ago spoke about kindness as well um, in leadership. She came across for me with a wonderful humility. Uh, there was a vulnerability and humility just about her and about her nature. But, but, but pretty fierce it, at the same time. But fierce. And that was what was beautiful. It's like there's a, they use the word formidable. I used it in my intro, I said significant. But there was a real, for me, just listening to her and watching her, there was a real significance and formidableness about her. Yet with this beautiful, kind nature, I loved how she talked about you've got to have the right tactics to get inside <laughs> people's minds. And I could just see how she would probably do that in a boardroom. So yeah, really, really enjoyable and some good takeaways is kindness humility but very certain around what you are and what you believe in and when it's time to drop the hammer you drop the hammer i think also you know we we had in the wrap-up with eric simons uh he mentioned know yourself and it was one of his big leading points in his 60 second presentation and it's exactly the same thing that she mentioned it was all about knowing yourself and knowing your strengths and weaknesses and how we you know we we questioned quite deeply on how she goes about that process and um, and that, that's it's so interesting to see the, the common threads that keep coming up with, with all these amazing leaders. Awesome, bud. I look forward to next week when we speak to Ben Darwin. Grand, this was awesome, bro. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.